Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score, Allergy Edition. I have taken my antihistamines because I am dying. I am absolutely dying because everything's in bloom and it's killing me. BK, how are you doing, my man? I'm doing all right, buddy. I've had plenty of those issues myself. My eyes the other day, I woke up, I was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, get out of bed, go outside, and I just wanted to cry the rest of the day. So, been there, been there. <laughs> Tis the season, man. Uh, it has been beautiful, though. I don't know where in the in the country you are, but it's been a nice couple days here in St. Louis. I feel like Missouri gets about 14 nice days in the year, and we've cashed in on four of them, so that's been nice. Um but we're not here to talk about the weather. We can, we'll get into our Weather Channel podcast some other time, but uh, we're here for Missouri football. That's why I said it was the football podcast at the beginning. We've got some football stuff to talk about. It has been quiet. It will be quiet for a while other than the random recruiting news or transfer portal news or whatever. Uh, but we're mostly hunkered down working towards uh, the NFL draft at the end of April. Uh, we will be putting out our draft pieces very soon, probably next week, if I had to guess. And I'm guessing correctly because <laughs> I schedule that stuff. Um, so we'll get into that soon. But um, we're going to focus on the Missouri flavor here. We've got some movement on the roster. Uh, we've got some acquisitions and some departures. So let's <clears throat> jump into that, that right now. Uh, the first one that made me kind of sad, BK, I think it made you sad too, is that Jamal Brooks, the longtime linebacker uh, at Missouri, is in the transfer portal. He graduated, and he is looking to take his talents elsewhere. Uh, BK, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't remember seeing his name all that often from the spring camps. So he might have been in a position where he goes, well, I should probably take advantage of this one-time rule and try and find a place where I can play. Is that, is that accurate in your mind? Yeah, I think he was at this point passed up basically out of spring. It seemed like Chad Bailey was kind of the entrenched starter. Again, that's that spring where you didn't have Blaze Aldridge on the field. So that could change over the course of the summer when Aldridge gets to campus. But it seemed like it was basically Nicholson and Bailey as your starters at linebacker throughout the spring. So if he decided, hey, I want to go start somewhere for my final year in college, I totally get that, and Brooks is going to be a guy that goes down as somebody who made more of an impact at Mizzou than his stats will tell you. He finished his Mizzou career with 41 tackles, but I'm not sure there was anybody in his time at Mizzou that bled black and gold more than Jamal Brooks. Like, that dude I remember as a recruit was the biggest Mizzou cheerleader you will ever see, and even in his time at Mizzou, he was nothing but a good good soldier, despite the fact that he was always behind other pretty darn good linebackers in his time. So he's going to be missed, and it's kind of sad, but I think for a lot of Mizzou fans, their lasting memory of Jamal Brooks will be um, the play that almost lost Mizzou the game. And uh, that that's unfortunate, because I think he had a pretty good career, especially as a special teamer, with the Tigers, but yeah, I just don't think that he was going to have an opportunity to be a regular contributor on the defense. He probably wanted to find that elsewhere. Was that the LSU game? Uh, Arkansas, Arkansas, wasn't it? That's right, because he tipped the ball, and then they they caught... Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's right. That's right. Yeah, that was not his fault. (laughs) So... Because that was at the end of the game yes. after um, Nick Bolton had got That's hurt. Right. He came in. He was playing on like the second-to-last series of the game. He tips the ball. It ends up going right in. I think it was 
KJ Jefferson's hands. That sounds right. Uh, or excuse me, Mike, Mike Woods' hands. Um, and that's kind of the way that it, the cookie crumbled. Of course, Mizzou ended up winning the game. Mevis kicks the game-winning field goal. All, All is good. well in in <laughs> Columbia. So didn't end up mattering. But I think for a lot of Mizzou fans, like that was the most notable defensive play that he made in his time at Mizzou in a yeah. lot of ways. And it's certainly one that stood out the most. Um, yeah. fre- frequent super uh, special team uh, contributor, uh, part-time player as, as far as linebackers go. But the, the big thing uh, for me was that he wore number 25. Yeah, um, for sure. For all of you, well, I'm sure most of you know, but in case you don't, the the number 25 has a pretty rich tradition around Mizzou starting in 2005 uh, with the death of Aaron O'Neill. And since then, uh, the number 25 has been bestowed upon a player who uh, dis- kind of exhibits characteristics that Aaron had on the field. Hardworking, uh, you know, a joy to be around, uh, someone who really enjoys playing the game. So it's a... It's a special thing to earn, and and Jamal Brooks had earned that the right to wear the number twenty five. The him transferring has nothing to do with that. Like in any normal season, he would not be playing this year. Like that's if we didn't have COVID, he wouldn't be playing anymore. He would have exhausted his eligibility. So in basically, technically, he finished his career at Mizzou. He just gets a bonus here, and he wanted to cash in on that, and I think that's fine. Uh, so the number twenty five will bounce to somebody new. I don't know who it's going to go to uh, of the Missouri linebackers that you have. Uh, not not too many, I don't think. I, Will Norris is from Columbia, um, but uh, all the others are kind of from out of state. So it'll be interesting if a linebacker gets it or another defensive player gets it. Um, but it's someone who needs to demonstrate some unique qualities, according to Gary Pinkle. Uh, so it'll be interesting who gets uh, who gets that moniker this year. Yeah, and maybe it takes a year off. You know, maybe, maybe this is this is a year where they decide. You know what? Let's let's find for next year the guy that does it. I don't know if this this player would be one hundred percent what they typically go for because he's not from the state of Missouri. But uh, Trajan Jeffcoat has an interesting story, mm-hmm. and he th- there might be something there. Uh, if not him, though, one guy that immediately comes to mind for me. Um, if you're looking for somebody who's from Missouri, kind of has a lot of these qualities, Martez Manuel mm, um, yeah. could be somebody that, that makes some sense for for that style of a player that is the heart and soul of the defense going into next year. I think he would be a candidate that I would look to. But again, I don't know. I just don't know what they're going to be looking for specifically and how that plays inside of the locker room. And that's frankly the most important part of this. It is. But Martez Manuel comes yeah, to mind. Currently Manuel's number three, 25 would look good on him as a, as a strong safety. Um, you know, if they do take a year off that, that might be the best. Um, and I don't, ugh, I'm getting in a sticky situation. I don't know if it's quote unquote contractually obligated for that number to be bestowed in that manner. I feel like it is but it's also been two regimes since so i don't know but it is a fun tradition well it's it's a worthy tradition let me put it that way um so we'll we'll see what happens there but good luck to jamal uh and i've obviously he's he's going to join a, a pretty uh, notable fraternity of missouri players who have transferred and uh, a couple are still rocking and rolling in the fcs right now uh so i mean if he wants to drop down he could probably get some playing time there uh, if he wants to switch to a G5, I'm sure he could find playing time there. You know, a power five linebacker is a hot commodity, especially one with as much experience as he gets. So uh, hope he does well. 
Joining him in the transfer portal recently are two other guys. Uh, Zachary Brooks, who is absolutely my favorite name on the roster as of 2021. Uh, and then Aiden Harrison, the uh, smallish linebacker slash biggish safety from Michigan. Uh, both of them entered the transfer portal. I saw that today. I don't know when they actually did it, but um, you are now down one defensive lineman who usually was an end and one hybrid safety linebacker guy. Um, so there is a commentary on that. The other commentary that I pointed out to BK before we started is that the college graduating class of 2024 so the guys who came in Barry Odom's last recruiting class, 2019, there are currently seven guys in that class. Connor Bazelak, Luke Griffin, EJ Ndoma Ogar, who transferred in, Jamie Petway, Ishmael Burdine, Jadarius Perkins, who's a JUCO transfer in, and then Jelani Williams, and that's it. So, BK, a couple of things on these transfers. One, what kind of impact do you see on the line and in the safety core, respectfully? And two... What are we going to do about that thin-ass 2024 graduating class? Uh, so I'll start with the first one because it's a little easier to answer. Honestly, I just I didn't really con- see them contributing this year, so it doesn't change a whole lot for me in terms of my expectations next year. Uh, all right, for the second part of that, this is where things get a little more interesting because a seven-man senior class is never something that a football team wants to have. Because those are supposed to be your leaders. And they're not seniors yet, but they will be eventually, right? So you want to fill that class a little bit with other guys that are going to be contributors. I think it was like 2016-ish, 2015 maybe, where Mizzou had something similar. Where their senior class at that point was like literally seven guys that had made it through to the end. And they had a real kinship between those guys that made it to the end because they felt like they had been through a lot together. And they had. Um, But it'll be interesting to see how, with the current regime, how they handle that compared to what they did at that time. Casey Woods is probably the guy that you would want to be in charge of a situation like this, where he's dealing with the scholarship and roster management. He was in charge of that at UAB when they were restarting their Mm -hmm. program. And they literally had to figure out, how do we do this? Who do we recruit that are high school seniors? Who do we recruit in terms of guys that are coming from other programs? How do we divvy up the scholarships for a senior class versus a sophomore versus the incoming freshmen? There's nobody maybe in the country or very few people in the country that are more qualified to deal with a problem like this than the guy that is basically in charge of Mizzou's recruiting on their current coaching staff. So I, I feel good that they're going to be able to have a solution, but in terms of like my initial reaction to that class being the one that they struggled with, yeah, of course it is. Mizzou was 34th in the country with 22, 22 commits that year because way too many of them weren't very good prospects. They took one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 5.53 stars that year. Seven. They took one two-star. It was Zachary Brooks who just transferred. Like, this is what happens when you take talent that is below the level of the guys that you would expect to play at the SEC level. For example, here are some of the 5.73 stars that committed that year. You ready for this? <laughs> I'm looking at it, so go ahead. <laughs> Jelani Williams, Jack Buford, who has mm-hmm. transferred, Connor Bazelek, Maurice Massey, CJ Boone, I guess... Some of these guys have ended up yeah. leaving, but they had the talent to be able to play. Ish Burdine, Luke yep. Griffin, Jamie Petaway, mm-hmm. Darius mm-hmm. Robinson. Like the, 
these are the talents that you want. They might end up leaving, they might get booted, they might transfer. But it's not because of a talent deficiency. Some of the guys that have left Mizzou that are at the lower levels on this, and we don't have to single them out, some of them left because they just didn't have the talent to play in the SEC. And that's not a shot against those kids. They just shouldn't have been recruited by Mizzou. And so that's that's one issue that the previous staff had. They believed almost too much sometimes in their evaluations. And so they would go pluck off 5.5 three-stars that probably shouldn't have been playing at Mizzou in the first place. And that's something that I haven't seen this new regime doing quite quite as often. The aforementioned class, the, the tiny graduating senior class, I believe was the class of 2012, which did feature Doriel Greenbeckham and Evan Bain and Sean Culkin and Maddie Mock, but they were a little wonky in their scholarship management in 12 and just could not take a lot of dudes. So you ended up with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And a lot of those dudes got booted off of campus. That's what happened with that exactly. class. Because Holyfield was booted mm-hmm. off. Uh, Harold Brantley had that unfortunate accident. And so that that was his situation. You had a couple of guys that retired medically. So you got um, 21 guys. Was, two of them were transfers in. DGB gets booted. Uh, Morgan Stewart uh, goes and plays baseball. Tory Boozer transfers. Levi Copeland gets booted. Chaston Cuffey did not make it to, to campus, I don't believe. Uh, K. Ross Stewart was uh, transferred away. Evan Winston, I do not believe, made it on the team. Get Marcus Golden. <laughs> that was nice. Brandon Holyfield, like drugs, if I remember correctly. Uh, Harold Brantley had the car wreck. Um, you know, it... The, and so you had a small class and then a lot of them lost. So yeah, you're right. They were super tight, but that, that made it very tough when 2015 and 16 roll around. And guess what you do in 2015 and 16? You go five and seven and four and eight. So yeah. Uh, to answer my own question, I would say in the future, look for the graduating class of 2024 to be where your transfers and your JUCOs come in. Um. Because you need to stock that class with dudes. I don't know. Again, the scholarship management portion is going to be a little wonky. Uh, we That's why we pay Casey Woods all the big bucks to figure this out. Uh, I know that Missouri is classifying seniors, juniors, sophomores, freshmen differently than I am. But I don't have the mental capacity to do it their way. I'm going to do it my way. So let's look at the classes by classification right now. You've got in your senior class, which is all the graduate dudes from last year, there's nine scholarship seniors. From the juniors, who should be seniors, but are juniors now, both redshirt and OG, there's 13 scholarship juniors. In the sophomore ranks, there are 18 scholarship sophomores, redshirt and otherwise. And then your freshman class, and we've talked about this, it's currently 39 guys. Now, some of those are the redshirt freshman guys, which would also be a sophomore. It's another way to put that. So you could want them in either class there. Um, but you have a gigantic bubble at the bottom. It goes nine in the seniors, 13 in the juniors, 18 in the sophomores, 39 in the freshmen. Uh, we are underneath the scholarship count right now. We are at 78. So you could you could get seven more dudes on the team at any point. Uh, are are they up against it though with the recruiting? Not limits? right now. We served our time. Okay. Uh, last year was kind of the time that we had to do that. Now there is 
No, what I mean by that is, isn't there a backdating? Uh, I think transfer-wise, you're fine, but recruiting-wise, I think they have met, if I'm not mistaken, I think they have met, like, the upper echelon of what they're allowed to take in terms of recruits, no? For 21? last year's class? Uh, I, th- I thought so. I could be wrong on that, though. Fample, I count. <laughs> 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 24. So they had, yeah. last year in the freshman class, they had 23 that had already yeah. committed. And I think there were some um, early enrollees or something, the way that it works with the math for recruiting, mm-hmm. I am I think that they're at their limit for the 2021 yeah. class. Well, they got 27 guys, freshmen. and I know like 80% of them are already on campus. So that might be how they're yeah. doling it out. Um so yeah, maybe it's not this year. It's going to be going forward, but um, ugh. Good luck, Casey. <laughs> you might be. I don't know if that'll. Uh, I don't know if that impacts JUCO guys. Like I think that they might be able to take transfers and JUCOs, but I'm I'm not positive on that. Um, but what I would say is kind of to your point. It's a good one moving forward, class of 2022. Maybe you see whether it be grad transfers or some guys that come in that are. Uh, similar to the Mookie Cooper situation, mm-hmm. where maybe they went somewhere, and instead of him being a freshman who's coming in, maybe you end up being a sophomore or junior um, at that point who is coming in. And that would help to prevent this moving forward. I would also say this, man. I think some of what you're seeing right now is natural. You had a coaching change, and the new coaching staff wants their sure. guys. And so a lot of the old guys that were committed to the previous coaching staff have left. And that happens. Honestly, I'm surprised that there's not more guys that have left from the old coaching staff now that there's a new staff in place. So some of this is natural. Some of this happens no matter the program. And some of it is just like they had a pretty darn good recruiting class and they found a lot of talent that wanted to commit. So they accepted them. Crazy, crazy idea that. Uh, Sorry, breaking news. I'm just scrolling Twitter because I live underneath a rock most days of the week. Uh, that rule that we've talked about, the one-time transfer rule, BK, uh, officially starting next season, major college football and basketball players will be permitted to transfer one time before graduating without being required to sit out a year of competition. I know what the proponents... Glad we could get this figured out in April. <laughs> I know what the proponent, the, the opponents are saying. We have created free agency. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's already existed with coaches. Uh, giving people... Uh, not treating people like property and giving them the opportunity to play and learn where they want to play and learn, maybe more to play it than learn, but giving them the option is not a bad thing. And if the coaches can recruit and do dirty pool, like get you all signed, bring you on campus and then cut the position player that you see that you <laughs> signed for. And then say, Oh, sorry. looks like you're committed for five years. Then it's only fair that the players have at least some minor bit of control over where they play and allowing them one, one transfer without having to sit is a positive development. Good job, NCAA. You did the bare minimum. Bravo. And is this is this for 2021? or Yeah, this is a one-time. Starting next year. Is this forever? Yep, forever. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um. I got no issues with it. We've talked about this before. 
if you want to transfer once, you want to get back home, or you balled out your sophomore year, and now instead of being at Abilene Christian, you've got a chance to go play for Alabama and then maybe make it to the next level, make your money, your family a whole hell of a lot of money, go ball out at Alabama, big guy. Like I, I, I'm all in favor of that. If you end up coming to Mizzou and you realize, oh my goodness, there are a lot of really good athletes here, and I was the best athlete in my high school, and now I'm the 35th best athlete on this team. I need to go play for uh, Jacksonville State. Like, okay, cool, awesome. You should be able to go there and be eligible right away. Now, if you go to Mizzou and then you end up transferring to Auburn and then at there you realize, oh, I'm actually not as good as I thought I was, and now I want to go to Rice. Like, okay, now you got to sit out a year because this is your second time transferring and you should have made a better decision the first time. I'm fine with this. This is probably, in terms of finding some sort of a middle ground, this is about as good as you could get. And oh, by the way, I'm happy to know that Mookie Cooper is going to be eligible this year. Hell yeah. Here's the thing. <clears throat> when you're looking at this from a from a trickle-down effect, uh, this is going to affect every team. No team is going to be immune from it, okay? So it's not a bad thing if a Missouri Tiger player <laughs> transfers to a, an LSU or a Clemson or a Jackson State or a Toledo. Neither one of those is a bad thing. What you're looking at, and uh, this is my optimistic take on it, you could argue, oh, well, that just means that Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State and Texas, they get to watch you know G5 teams play and go, ooh, I like that middle linebacker, recruit the hell out of that kid, and then bring him away from Toledo and to Texas, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, LSU, wherever. Okay? That is an argument that I'm sure exists, and that is true. That's going to suck that the great G5 player doesn't stick with the G5 team. Um, but it also works the other way, y'all <laughs> that, that four-star defensive end who can't see the field because there's five, five-star defensive ends in front of him. He's going to be looking to play somewhere else. And he's probably going to be looking at, oh, I don't know, a Toledo, maybe a San Jose state, maybe a Missouri. I don't know. I don't know, but the possibility is there, okay? So, yes, the rich could still get richer, right? They, they might have had some G5 program do their scouting for them and find the diamond in the rough that they'd really like to pluck. Cool. They already do that. <laughs> it's not a big deal. It also means that that guy who comes in who pushes a kid out, that kid can now go play somewhere else. So it's it's a circle of life kind of thing. It's good and bad when you're looking at, you know, roster management and oh talent is just flying everywhere well yes it's going to be beneficial and it's going to hurt sometimes but that's not how you should be looking at this you should be looking at the agency it gives to the kids who play the game and if it makes their lives that much easier that much better then i'm 100 percent for it so good job especially i mean i know there are some places that would would put a waiver in on this anyways but for the kids that are at a place where their coach leaves like it is not universal that those kids are just allowed to transfer wherever without any sort of um, issues from coming from their previous university. It, it That's not a guarantee. And so now they, if, for instance, after Barry Odom left, if one of the Mizzou players wanted to go follow Barry Odom to Arkansas, they should be allowed to do so. I know that hurts Mizzou fans, uh, th their feelings a little bit, but... The same is true for the App State kids. If they wanted to follow Eli Drinkwitz, if they were a really good player, to come play for Mizzou, I'd be fine with them coming to play for my university. And if they were immediately eligible, that'd be great. Um, so I, I think this, 
like you said, there are pluses and minuses regardless of which program you are a fan of for this. If I'm an Alabama fan, this is great. But literally everything about college football in my existence is great if I'm an Alabama right, fan, right? right. <laughs> so um, it if I am a lower level program, in some ways this stinks because my roster, as you said, might have the best players plucked from it. But also, I could go pluck the bottom-feeding players on Alabama or Auburn or Missouri, and those guys might become my best players. And so it is It is truly a cycle. It's almost like a crop cycle, right, where um, you harvest something and then you start planting for the next season, and that's kind of what's happening here. You're going to have to constantly be recruiting your kids, and I know that sucks. Um, like, you're, you're – your future roster. The dudes make millions of dollars. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Their job's like, hard. Uh, <laughs> you got to recruit <laughs> high school kids to replace them, and you got to make sure you're recruiting the kids. And this is a good thing. You have to create a good culture. You have to have a good program. Wow. Uh, what fan doesn't want that for their own school? <laughs> like That's what you're paying them to and, do. And hey, by the way, Mizzou's got a good guy in charge we to do that. We really do. We really do. Uh, Drink is a great personality. His staff is full of excellent mm-hmm. recruiters, good dudes. And wow, there's $11 million coming into the program over the next year. So <laughs> we're going to get some fancy new stuff. This is what you want. You expect your coaches to create a good culture, create a good program, and win. If they're not doing that, then you don't want that coach at the program. you got to find somebody else. And if the canary in the coal mine is players leaving, so be it. That's going to be a good way to know that your coach sucks at his job and he should be fired. So it's it's going to be okay. Now, I, I always get... I always get big view and start thinking of the college football world at large because that's what I really, really care about. And I'm a giant, stupid nerd. But here's my thought, BK. We talked about the the plight of Texas State a month ago, whatever, uh, and how they they recruited like two high school kids, got none of them, and then just plumbed the transfer portal and got JUCOs. I'll be honest. With with this rule passing, I don't see any Power 5 program doing this. But I see a world where several G5 programs start just doing that. Find a couple high school kids that you really like, but really just look at the Power 5 transfer portal guys who are looking for a fresh start and just stock your roster with that. And you'd guaranteed have probably one of the better, you know, more athletic rosters in the G5. And you can do a lot with the super athletic roster, so I'm kind of thinking that that might be the way it goes, uh, at least for the next couple of years as they explore this new rule. Hey, uh, Nate, there's this Upshot TV show that's been going on recently. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever seen it. It's really great. It's called Last Chance You, <laughs> and what they do <laughs> is they take retread players who, for whatever reason, you know, probably had some issues at their previous university or just you know, they wanted a fresh start. And so they go to this school, it's a JUCO, and they're trying to find better offers. So the reason why I bring that up, and of course, everybody knows what Last Chance U is. The reason why I bring that up is because basically G5 is going to become Last Chance U. And I'm not saying that they're going to be using these schools to get their next chance in terms of college, but a lot of these kids think they're going to the mm-hmm. NFL. Like that, that's, that's a lot of them. That's their goal, right? So whether it be that, or they just want to get a better, um, they want to get a good education while they're actually playing football and they're on the field, whatever their goals are, their aspirations are as players for some of these guys, they'll go to power five schools because that's what they were told they needed to do to make it to the next level. They're going to fail there because that's what happens more often than not for these recruits. 
And then now they can have that opportunity to go to the group of five school where they can see the field. And maybe they do end up showing out and because they got the opportunity, maybe they're just a gamer. They're a really bad practice player. They show out on Saturdays and now they make it to the NFL as a sixth round draft pick and they make $800,000 in their first year. That's life-changing money, you know? So like this is going to provide opportunities for some kids that they wouldn't have otherwise been afforded by having to sit out for that year. And maybe that makes them not transfer. They just waited out for four years at a university and then maybe they get to grad transfer. I I'm, I'm all in favor of this. I know there's going to be people that are frustrated by it. And I get that there's going to be some frustrations that come along with it. But I think as a whole, if we're looking at this holistically, I think this can be a good thing. I agree. And man, we have talked 30 minutes about three guys leaving, but there's just so much more to it. Um, I'm I, I'm excited for Jamal and Zakori and Aiden um, to have their new chance. I'm really glad this rule passed. I cannot wait to see how it uh, how it shakes out. Change is always weird, right? Like you know, any change that comes through, you kind of complain about it, and then after a couple of years, oh, it's just that's just how it's always been. So. This is not a bad thing. We'll get used to the transfer portal. We'll embrace it as our transfer portal overlord, and it'll just be part of the college football cycle, and we'll get used to it. So it's it's a good thing, and I hope you all view it as a good thing. And if you don't, that's okay. you got plenty of time to catch up. Uh, we also added a dude, BK. Added a big dude today from a little place called Lebanon, Missouri. Tristan Wilson, offensive guard for the 2022 class. Uh, uh, contributed, committed, there we go, today. He is the 28th best guard in the country, 22nd ranked product uh, prospect. God, talking is hard today. In the state of Missouri, he is 6'5", he is 300 pounds. I watched his game film. Uh, It is hilarious. Uh, I don't know how much film you all watch, if you ever go into the huddle and, and take a look. Obviously, it's all stuff that they want you to see anyway. That's why it's their highlight film. The greatest high school highlight film I've ever seen in my life was Vince Wilfork, the former uh, Miami Hurricane and New England Patriot, who in high school was just like four dudes all stuffed in the same uniform, and it looked like a goddamn grizzly bear just mauling little kids <laughs> on the football field. I'm not saying that's what Tristan Wilson looks like. He looks very human. But every clip he has ends with him throwing whatever guy he was blocking into the ground. And it is very, very funny. Uh, Lebanon plays mostly like option football. It's a little funky. It's out of the shotgun sometimes, but they're basically an option school. So you don't see a whole lot of pass blocking. It's mostly running and kind of getting out in space. And I think that's something that hurts Mr. Wilson because Lebanon plays at such a low level and his competition is not so great. But you look at the offer sheet and you see an Alabama there and he is committed to Missouri and BK. I am freaking excited for this kid. As you should be. This is awesome. Um, It's a really good get by them. And now Mizzou in the last two recruiting classes, this one that we're talking about and the most recent one has recruited the 54th best offensive tackle in the country, the 18th and the 28th best offensive guard in the country. And I would have to go back to see what uh, Indoma Ogar was ranked, but I know that he was up there as well um, in terms of where he was as a prospect as well. Let's take a look here. Looky-see. EJ Indoma 
Ogar was the 19th ranked offensive guard in the country as well in his class. Um, so Mizzou has three top 30 offensive guards over the last three years that they have now had committed, whether via transfer in terms of the Indoma Ogar or in terms of recruiting high school players in the next recruiting cycle. That's a big time coup for Eli Drinkwitz. And I think we're starting to see the premium that he places on the offensive line as well. As he should. Uh, in the for SEC, sure. you got you got to have big, functional offensive line can that that can do a lot of different things, but certainly open open the line for the run, pass block well because you got a lot of excellent defensive lines there as well. You know, at at uh, at App State, Appalachian State likes to recruit kind of faster offensive linemen. They like to run, but they don't like to run through you. They like to run around you. That was one of the interesting things I thought of when when we hired Drinkwitz was how is his game going to translate with when he's had the head coaching experience of of faster linemen. He saw a little bit of that of that at NC, NC State as well, and Boise liked to get really short squatty dudes who <laughs> kind of did the same thing, like kind of just you you underestimate what they can do and they surprise you with their athleticism. I don't know what these guys are going to translate into, but they are very large they translate, <laughs> they translate into, large. into large they're very highly uh, regarded as far as national rankings go uh, and and their offer sheets kind of back that up and i i can't wait to see it <laughs> right now our, our offensive lineman it's it's good it's experienced it's not super high elite talent but it's 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 certainly seasoned and um, ready to play but you bring in reinforcements like this and, oh, my God, I can't wait to see what the Drinkwitz running game does when it's going behind guys like this. Yeah, I think one thing we can say, because we've talked about the size that he is clearly prioritized with the offensive linemen that he's recruiting. I mean, when you've got 6'4 and 6'5 offensive guards, typically that's the position where you expect them to be a little shorter, a little squattier. Uh, not, not at Mizzou anymore. <laughs> I, I don't think that's what we should be looking for in terms of the profile uh, that they're searching. I think he's looking for big, strong, athletic, and mean offensive linemen. If you can have some combination of that, that's what Eli Drinkwitz is looking for. So I know that that might just sound like a bunch of um, adjectives that I said that everybody's looking for an offensive lineman, but it's not always the case. I mean, if you looked back at Gary Pinkle's offensive lineman, the recruits that he was looking for, he was basically prioritizing exclusively athleticism. He wanted you to be an athlete that he could make into a really good offensive lineman. So much so that sometimes he would recruit guys that were tight ends in high school and put bulk onto their body if they had the frame to do it. And then they would become like, 6'3", 6'4", 265 to 75 pound offensive lineman. That's not what we're seeing from Eli Drinkwitz. He wants these guys ready-made when they walk through the door. They could be SEC offensive linemen if needed. And I think that's just the change in recruiting offensive linemen in the modern game. I know we've talked about this a little bit in, in shows past, but you're not a well-regarded offensive line recruit if you're not pushing 300. You know, if you're if you're six one or shorter, you're probably grading out to a five point five, maybe a five point six. There are enough big dudes that are, um, I'll call it college weight, putting on college weight in the high school ranks to be found, um, to show that they can do it. It's not always healthy at the high school level. Sometimes you got to cut it and rebuild it at the college level. But they're showing that yes, I can I can carry this weight. I can move at this weight, and. 
being able to demonstrate that at a younger age, regardless of the fact that it's not healthy for you, is really good for college football uh, players and college football coaches showing that you can get to that state. Uh, So, yeah, the the days of recruiting tight ends and making them big is just you could you could do that. But why do that when there's plenty of other dudes who are already that size, who are already doing that? And, And I think it's just an arms race in height and weight. And, and it's going to be rare to see that sort of transformation. But they're grown big, they're ready to play, and they'll be taught how to do it healthy at the college level. But you need just gigantic mountains to play on offensive line right now. And the other thing is these dudes are playing earlier, right? So it, it's not about having, like, a lot of Mizzou's offensive linemen from 05-ish to twenty. 13, 14, that, that kind of range that basically the peak Gary Pinkle years, right? Um, that decade or so, a lot of those guys were waiting to maybe three years before they really became offensive line starters. Now you might start your second year on campus if you're good enough. And I think that's part of this as well is if, if you're a pretty good player, like Luke Griffin, for instance, right? He, he's kind of the guy that we've talked about a, a couple of times. He's what a redshirt, a redshirt mm-hmm. freshman. That that kid was getting playing time last year because he was ready for it. He he had the body, he had the size, and so a lot of these coaches are looking for guys who, if we needed them to hit the field as a true freshman, could they do it? The answer to most of that is no, skill-wise. But size-wise, the answer is now becoming yes. Ten years ago, that was not the yeah. case. So it's it's a great addition. I, again, I would I always suggest watching the highlight film because it's a lot of fun. But definitely watch his. He is he is a mauler. Uh, very excited to have him join the offensive ranks. We'll see. Him and Tolleson both Dude, were really yeah, fun to watch awesome. in terms of their their Tolleson film. Was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I can't wait to see what's going to happen. It sucks that we got to wait a whole year before he gets on. Well, longer than a year for him to get on campus, but. When he does, it's going to be a lot of fun. So welcome on board, Tristan. We're glad to have you. Can't wait to see you in a Missouri uniform. As for next season, the 2021 season, which is still, God, seven months away. Jeez. Um, well, uh, we, we get all sorts of these little stories uh, dropping just to keep you, keep you happy and, and healthy and a little bit of football morsels as we make it through the desert known as summer. Uh ESPN released their football power index, uh, which takes a lot of different factors into play. I don't know what they all are because I don't really subscribe to ESPN's uh, FPI, uh, but it's always nice to take a look and see what they have to say. And according to them, Missouri is grading out as the 34th best team, giving them a record of 7-5. and five. BK, I'm going to say it right now. I told you when you let me know, and I'll say it again. If the Tigers go 7-5 and make it to a bowl, I'm happy. What do you think? So it's funny. I had a buddy that texted me um, today about this, and he said, 7-5 and five seems a little disappointing, right? And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it, it shouldn't be. I know it might feel that way because of the way that last year went, but no, I don't think seven and five would be a disappointing season. Now I say that, and then can I do it uh, a, a quick run through with you of Mizzou's first six games? We next have year? done it before. Let's do it again because it's worth repeating. <laughs> Central Michigan win. Kentucky at Kentucky should be a win, but that's a toss up. Semo better be a win. 
Boston College. Toss up city. Because Boston College is very good at the thing we're going to be very bad at, which is defending the pass. Fair. Tennessee. Should be a win, but again, see see Hypel's passing game. But yes, well, okay. It's at home, so let's just let's just say it's a win. North Texas. Should be a win. We are now through the first six games of the season. I have not mentioned Vandy. Should be a win. Um and you have said all of them outside of Boston College should be wins. Yes. I mean that's that's at least six, maybe seven victories right there. Now I the other going. games are keep a little going. tougher. <laughs> Texas A&M, That'll be a loss. <laughs> Georgia, That'll be a loss. South Carolina, yeah, they're rebuilding. It's at home, right? Yeah, uh, it is. Yeah, you should pounce on them. That should be a win. Loss. Florida. And Man, Arkansas. see, everyone awesome. got up in my butt about this last time, so I'm going to say it again. It's it's a toss-up. We'll probably lose it, but um, I'll say win for your purposes. No, but it's a toss-up is fair. So that's like of the 12 games on the schedule next year, I think you can reasonably say six are should-be wins, two are toss-ups, and two are like definite loss. Or eh, No, there's three definite losses on the schedule. Florida, Georgia, and Texas A&M, so... Uh, maybe it's five should be's. Um, I don't know. I'm messing up the mess here, <laughs> math okay. here. But it, they, I think seven and five, eight and four is kind of what you should expect yes. next year. Basically, they're back to the Gary Pinkle mm-hmm. era. Like a, a normal season is eight and four, seven and five in the mm-hmm. SEC for Mizzou. That's where your your average year is. Guys, this is a good thing. <laughs> it's really nice that Mizzou, before they get this massive influx in talent, which is coming, is a 7-5, and 8-4 and four type of team. That's really excellent. And so if they're able to do that this year, that is a step in the right direction. As much as it might feel like a lateral step from last season, last year, let's, let's not forget that they barely beat LSU and barely beat Arkansas and barely beat South Carolina. That could have easily been a two and eight, three and seven type of season. If they kind of like convincingly get to seven and five with a couple of games where maybe you felt like they could have won, that's a good year. That's a step forward, I would say, uh, after what what they had a year Absolutely. ago. You gotta you gotta remember, y'all. I mean, Gary Pink. What Gary Pinkle did was not a miracle, but he. It is very hard to replicate what Gary did. And we've been in the SEC since 2012. Yes, 2012. So that's nine seasons. Damn, it's almost been a decade. No, it's crazy. It's It's nine seasons. We've only been to four bowls. So if you turn around and Eli Drinkwitz gets this team bowl eligible in his first two years, that represents like 20% of all the bowls that Missouri's been to in the SEC. (laughs) I know that small sample size. I don't care. It's still true. So it, it it we cannot we we cannot be walking around where we have a coach and a team surpass our very low expectations one time, and then we just throw the expectations as high as we can and say, "Well, you got to meet it. You got to meet these new expectations because you already surpassed my my low ones before." It's the uh, it's the Glenn Mason territory. Bill Connolly has talked about it before. Glenn Mason went into Minnesota, took a bottom dweller team, and made them bowl eligible year after year after year after year. But he never broke through. He never got to nine or ten wins. He kept getting six, seven, and eight. 
And Minnesota got super pissed about that. They got bored. Like, no, no, you got to raise the bar. We demand excellence. Fired him, and it took him freaking 15 years to find Jerry Kill to get them right back on track. So you, it, it's if if Eli takes this team, this team, which was a Barry Odom team, and goes five and five, and then he turns around, and in a rebuilding year, let's remember that, at least especially on defense with a brand new staff and new faces kind of all over the place, and he goes seven and five, that is a good thing. It's okay if you're disappointed in it. It's okay if you want eight or nine games. It's okay if you strive for excellence or whatever bullcrap that means. But getting to seven wins and making a bowl is incredibly tough to do in the SEC. And if Eli Drinkwitz does that in his first two years, we're in a good spot. It's okay. That's a win. The other thing that I think that this projection shows you, the SEC kind of stinks again. Um, it's down right now. So, like, Tennessee is going to be down next year. I think they're going to be back up. I think is a pretty competent coach. Maybe not great. I don't know what the ceiling is there, but I think he's competent, and he's going to have a pretty good passing offense at the very least. But South Carolina's down. Vanderbilt is awful, and we'll see what, what where that goes. Kentucky is kind of your peer program right now, for better or worse. And so Mizzou is kind of fighting consistently behind Georgia, and Florida to hopefully be that third best team in the SEC East. Mm-hmm. And that sounds about right to me. You know, like with Eli Drinkwitz in charge, uh, your expectation is we should fight for third in the SEC East. And in our best possible years, if everything breaks right for us, you have that 2013-2014 season where you, you find a way to pull off an upset against Georgia or Florida and they tumble in one of their games that they're not yeah. supposed to. Which shouldn't yeah. happen. George is going to be really freaking good, by the way. They return so Always. much. And with a full year of JT Daniels, like, oh, my God. Um, real quick, I, I want to make sure we're, you and I are on the same page uh, regarding the what we're calling the toss-up games. Okay. Kentucky, toss-up game. Okay, that's one. Boston College, toss-up game. That's two. I'm calling Tennessee a toss-up game. I know they're rebuilding and that – Everyone thinks they stink, but I'm calling it a toss-up game. Agree? Is it okay if I say that I don't think it should be a toss-up? That's fair. But but we're uh, one year ahead of them, so it's like it's a toss. And they beat our they beat our butts last year, so I'm calling it a toss-up. That's fair. So let's that's fair. let's call that three. South Carolina, I know, kind of stinks. It's at home. Eh, okay. I wouldn't call it a toss. If that's a toss-up game this okay. year, that's a we won't call it South Carolina. But I'm definitely saying Arkansas is a toss-up game, especially since it's on yeah, the road. Yeah, that's okay. Totally fair. That's, that's four. four of them. And then you've got three games that are losses. Yes. So seasons are made in those toss-up games, right? Like you said, mm-hmm. would if I told you that Missouri lost two of those toss-up games, would that jive? Would you be surprised? Would you be angry? Um, I think that would be a little disappointing, but no, not angry. Like if you lose, for instance, if Kentucky, mm-hmm. which is always, that's, that's, that's the, the barometer, barometer, right? Like that's, that's the yep. bellwether game. Every single season for Mizzou, for whatever reason, that's the bellwether. You find out what you are. And I love that it is the second game of the season this year. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, as you said last year, they take a mirror and they will show you what you mm-hmm. are as a program. Um, if you lose that one, I think that would be a little disappointing, but the fact that it's on the road means that it's not a disgusting, repulsive, awful, no good, very bad day. Boston College would be disappointing, but that's a, that's kind of the 
Kentucky East Coast <laughs> team. Like they 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 kind of have some of that yeah. to them. I think the one that would hurt me is Tennessee. At mm-hmm. home against a team that is clearly going into rebuild. Everybody that could get out wanted to get out and did mm-hmm. get out. I think that would be the one that would hurt me the most, honestly. The ones at home are always those always hurt the most. And of the four games that we're talking about here, Tennessee's the only toss up at home. All the others are on the road. So you could conceivably lose three. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's tougher to win on the road, just facts. And if those are three of your losses, plus A&M, Georgia, and Florida, that's six, you know, six and six. That That's a very easy path to that. Um, Got to take care of business against Central Michigan, North Texas, who have been good in the very recent past. SEMO should be your win. Uh, Vandy's got to be a win. South Carolina's got to be a win, especially since it's at home. So it's uh, seven and five to me is is reasonable and good. I have no problem with it. It doesn't mean I am excited. Like I want my team to go seven and five every year. No, that's not what I want. But I do want my team to go bowling every year, and seven and five gets you to a bowl. So I'm pretty pleased with it. Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. And the expectations will change going into like 2022, sure. 2023. And they should be continuously going up from there. But I, I think it was um, Bill Connolly who first said this to me when we were talking about Mizzou football. Like Progress is not linear. It goes in strange ways. There are ups and downs. And just because a player was a starter one year and then is back the following year does not mean he's going to get better. There are times when they regress. Like this year, you had some Mizzou players that had started in 2019, came back for 2020, and instead of taking that step forward that we were all expecting, oh, it was it was a weird, not quite as good season. Kale Byers is one guy that comes to mind for that, right? Like, he didn't have the season that we were expecting. That's going to happen to other dudes next year. I don't know who it's going to be right now, but there's going to be a guy who we were hoping would take that next step forward. Maybe it's Kiki Chisholm, right? He ended the season really, really well, and we were all very excited about the fact that he's going to be able to come back next year, as you should be. He might not take that next step. Maybe last year is what we're going to see from Kiki Chisholm. And if that's the case, well, then that kind of changes the expectations a little bit. Because then Mizzou suddenly is kind of lacking that true bonafide number one receiver. So there's there's a lot of things that could still go wrong and that might not go according to plan. Won't go, frankly, according to plan. And that's why we love this stuff, because it's not played on paper. It's not played based on the FPI. We actually watch the games. And last year, Mizzou beat LSU in a game that we will never forget. (laughs) Something like that is going to happen again. I don't know if it'll be at Mizzou, but somebody else is going to do something similar. Missouri is a very young team, and young teams are, are streaky. That goes back to the progress is not linear. So who knows what's going to happen Someone's going to make the leap. Someone's not going to make the leap. But like, yeah, it's you try to you try to protect against that as much as you can by recruiting incredibly well and scheduling games that you can win, which I don't know why we did Boston College. Oh, my God. Um, But scheduling smart, putting yourself in a position to only have to win a handful of games in the SEC, go bowling and just accrue as much talent as you possibly can and hope for a breakthrough. So. You're absolutely right. Um, speaking of scheduling, this is, it was two weeks ago, right? Yeah, two weeks ago, uh, there was a little bit of a rumor floating around that the SEC was entertaining some alternative. By the way, before you yes. get there, uh, can I tell you what the year is for Mizzou? What's that? 
2024. Mizzou fans, put it in your calendar. Murray State, Buffalo, Boston College, UMass is your non-con, and you draw Ole Miss coming from the West. Let's That's go, the year. baby. Georgia at home that year as well. Let's Kentucky at home go, that year. Go, baby. 2024. That's the year. 2024. <laughs> Put it in your calendar, Mizzou oh fans. God. Three years, full Mizzou uh, recruiting cycles with Drinkwitz at the helm. Everybody on the roster is a Drinkwitz recruit. You've got blue chip talent out the wazoo. That's the year, 2024. Book it. You heard it here first. Assuming that the schedule doesn't change, which the SEC said that they're screwing <laughs> with, or at least looking at it. Uh, I, I don't know what that means. Uh, the SEC has been in the East and West Division since 1992. Uh, they did that for money reasons, which is why anybody does anything in college football. Thank you. So I don't know what they're looking at. I don't know what they're interested in. But Bill Connolly floated this idea a long, long time ago, back when he was at SB Nation, even before Banner Society existed, where he and Jason Kirk put together pod scheduling. BK, you have heard of pod scheduling, yes? Indeed. Do you know, could you describe it in one sentence? No chance. I'll do it for you. (laughs) Pod scheduling is giving one team three permanent opponents and then cycling every other team in your conference over a four-year span. End of story. Because when divisions were made in the 90s, at most you had 12, no, you had 10 teams in a division back in the 90s. Then it expanded to 12, which you could still do six team divisions and you could still alternate your your alter, your alternate division rival uh, games played. You could do that in a four-year span and play everybody. Conferences are now 14 teams. You can't play everybody in a 17 division setup where you have to play everybody in your division and you only have 12 games to play plus a non-con. Like, you can't play everybody. BK, do you know how many times Auburn has been on the schedule for Missouri? Um, oh, good question. Have they Uno. played? One time. Okay. When they, did they were play? on what the schedule in 2017. Now, we okay. played in the championship game in 2013, but that was not a scheduled game. Yeah, I was about to say, I, I couldn't think yeah. of one. They've only played one time. We've been in the SEC for nine years. We just said it 10 minutes ago. You can rewind the tape. <laughs> nine years, we played Auburn one time. Oh, I I, I can't believe I forgot that Auburn game. That was the, the, the burn, burn it all up ground, game. baby, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that game the vividly. The only good thing that came out of that I'll never forget that. <laughs> I will never forget yeah. that. And then they lost against Kentucky yep. the next week on a really it was bad beautiful. call. Beautiful, absolutely yep. beautiful. Love you, Barry. Miss you. Um, do you know how many times LSU has been on the schedule? Twice, Ding, two times, 2016, and of course last year. Mississippi State has been on the schedule twice. We've lost both times. Ole Miss has been on the schedule twice. We've won both times. Texas A&M uh-huh. has been on the schedule three times. We haven't played them since 2014. <laughs> I was about to say, weren't they all like right, right early Right in the on? beginning because they were, our, they were yeah. our pledge brother and therefore our rival, and then they made permanent rivalries and gave us Arkansas in 2015. So... Mm-hmm. Um, or sorry, 2014. That was the last. That's when we got Arkansas as a permanent rival, and that was the last time we played A and M. 
So that's kind of silly. You have an entire recruiting class that never sees Ole Miss or never plays Alabama or never goes to Baton Rouge and plays LSU. That's very stupid. Pods, fix that. It gives you three permanent opponents that you play every single year. Uh, in this case, if you want to keep your rivalry uh, with Arkansas and knock yourself out, we can keep Arkansas. We'd add, probably add Kentucky and then throw our pledge brother Texas oh, A&M no. in there. Something like that. Oh, you don't, no. I know you don't no. like that. I'd rather put Vandy in there. Can we uh, get Vandy? Well, you can't do – How do we get Vandy? You can't do Vandy because they have a protected rivalry with Tennessee. And then I think you'd probably want to keep them with uh, Kentucky because they got like a little sparring thing too. Maybe you could put them in. Yeah, we're number three. We'll, t- we'll take Vandy. Come on. We'll, we'll yeah. take them. Imagine the fights oh for Vandy God. within the SEC. Then, hey, you know, we, we, we've we always thought that Vandy was really our true rival. Look, you're not really a rival <laughs> until you beat them five games in a row, right? Like, that's that's really that's right. the, the, the measuring stick, uh, which is why Arkansas is our rival. Oh, Zane, suck it, Arkansas. Um, but you got to protect, like, some rivalries because the SEC is the most tradition, one of the most tradition-heavy conferences. So you can keep Alabama and Auburn and Alabama and Tennessee. Uh, Florida can keep Georgia and, and, and Tennessee. Georgia can keep Auburn and Florida and South Carolina. And you just give a team three teams that they play every year, and you know they're going to play them every year, and then you just rotate everybody else. And in a four-year cycle, you can rot- rotate everybody and play everybody because you only have three permanent opponents. Your other six have you can just filter in through any other team regardless of division and then you got your non-con so it's it's a more flexible way of scheduling that lets you play different types of teams and not the same six or seven over and over and over again the other benefit of this is that instead of the division winners playing in the national championship game you just get the two teams that have the best record after they get done playing their schedule now, the, the pushback against that is that there's going to be some teams that have easier permanent opponents than others, or maybe they get a better draw uh, on their pod scheduling. Guys, that's every year in college football, okay? <laughs> the, the East has been the weaker stepchild every single time. It's just like the Big 12 North. It's like, why does the North get to go? Why doesn't just Texas play Oklahoma every single time? So no matter how you schedule it, that argument's always going to come up. It's just using pods, you get to play a wider variety of, 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 of opponents, and you don't have to play the same stuff over and over again, and you just feel like you're a conference instead of just you feel like a division. So I'm just going to speak for Mizzou fans for a moment, if you don't mind. Be my guest. So, are you telling me, Nate, that what you're advocating is for Mizzou to play a harder schedule (laughs) on a regular basis? See. Huh. Yeah, I think I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) I I think I'm... So, what you're saying is you would rather add teams, for instance, such as Instead of every like four or five years playing Alabama, now I play them every other year. Eh, not every other year, but maybe every other every third year, something like that. And same thing goes for you know Auburn or um, you you throw LSU into that mm-hmm. mix. All those big time bully teams in the SEC West. Now we just get to see them more yes. often. Yeah, you know, I think I'm good with the way that things are uh, are currently constructed. Why? <laughs> because I'm a Mizzou fan, and I'd rather continue playing the SEC least. Have we been doing well against the SEC least? 
Do you remember 2013 and 2014? I remember those too. Do you remember 2015 and 2016? I do. I also remember Mizzou's coach in 2016, <laughs> and let's not bring up 2015. <laughs> Here's the deal. If you want to be in a... I think Mizzou has a really good coach, yes. and I think that their best chance to play any SEC championship game is to continue playing as the, the current schedule that yes. they are playing. This... This would be more entertaining if you're a Mizzou fan that likes going on road trips. If you're a Mizzou fan that likes seeing a wide array of opponents and you're okay with that meaning that you have a worse worse uh, record in any individual season, this is better. This is better, objectively. But if you're the Mizzou fan that wants to continue to fight for that once every five to seven years where you've got a chance to really potentially win the SEC East because of your division being a little weaker and because you got the right cross-divisional matchups, this is a bad thing for you as a Mizzou fan. So it kind of depends on what what your preference and what your priorities are as a fan. And I think there's a lot of different fans that would come out on different angles on that. I agree. But if you want to be the best, you have to beat the best. And if you want to win the SEC, even if we stick with the East-West division and we stay in the East, you still have to play in Alabama, in Auburn, or in LSU. Sorry, I'm not counting you. You still have to beat and play. You have to play and beat that team, regardless. So why not get used to beating the, that team in the regular season as well? Keep in mind, if they are looking at changing the schedule, even if they don't go to pods, what if they say, "Oh, Missouri's in the West now." We just took Auburn. And, no, 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 no. We just Don't took Auburn, that. threw him in the East, and now Missouri's in the West. Done. We're done with the new scheduling. Like, that ain't good either. <laughs> like, so. Yeah, no, let's yeah, not do I that. I mean, there's any kind of messing with the with the, the alignment, the divisions, any talk of that is bad for Missouri. Just full stop. 100%. So it's not a good thing. It's an interesting thing, but I know just because we are Missouri fans and we hate everything, it's a bad thing overall. Um, but if this is something that they're actually going to look into, I, I feel like it's a solid chance that they either go north south, which would be just sacrilegious in the south, um, or just rearrange east and west, or go pod. I don't know, but but any kind of messing with the current setup is bad for Missouri. So you might as well make it interesting. You might as well be able to see every team. Let's do it. Let's get crazy. Let's be legends. Make it happen and get used to playing the big boys because, hey, that's why we moved to the SEC to play and beat the big boys. No, no, we didn't. Uh, we went to the SEC because there's more money there. No. Okay, you're right. You're right. <laughs> um, in all seriousness, man, like, if you're a Mizzou fan, and, and I said this kind of passingly and it, it, jokingly, I, I am serious, though, like, there is some value to being able to go to um, Baton Rouge more often or being able to go down to Ole Miss more often. Those are really cool road trips. The road trips in the SEC are, by and large, really awesome. If you've never been to Tennessee, go to Knoxville. It's incredible. The atmosphere at, at that game, the environment in Knoxville as a whole for game day weekend, especially when the team is good, is unbelievable. I love going to Columbia, going to Knoxville, going to some of these other SEC schools is just, it's, it, it is a special, special thing. It's like, uh, it, it really is. People say this it's true. It's like a religion at some of these places. Um, going down to the Grove at Ole Miss is one of the most incredible experiences I've had as a football fan, period. And so being able to have more opportunities to do that is part of what college football is all about. 
you know, it, it is about the pageantry. It's about being able to have the fans go to other universities. It, it, it's a cool thing. So from that respect, this would be really good for the SEC, for college football as a whole. I think that that is a different way to look at it, though, than as a pure Mizzou fan who the only thing you care about is having a chance to play for the SEC championship and then maybe, maybe have a real shot at going to the playoff. And the only way that happens, or the most realistic way for that to happen, is by sticking with the current format. But if that's not a possibility, then this is probably the best alternative. So here's a sample. Basically, you do even years and odd year scheduling. Missouri, in even years, you'd have your permanence, Arkansas, Kentucky, Texas A&M. Even years, you'd play Alabama, Florida, LSU, Mississippi State, and Vanderbilt. Yuck. In odd years, you would keep Arkansas, Kentucky, Texas A&M, and then you'd play Auburn, Georgia, Ole Miss, South Carolina, Tennessee. So the odd years are way more manageable. Uh, but keep in mind, there's no law that says Alabama has to stay good. There's no law that says LSU will always be good. These things can wax and wane a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it's it's trying to bring in cohesiveness and bring the college spirit to the game, even though, yes, we are – Holding dearly to a playoff, to a playoff berth by kind of writing the 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 current setup. I understand that, but it's going to change at some point. Just be prepared for it to suck a lot more than it currently does. The other thing to keep in mind, I mentioned the the off chance that everything goes your way as a Mizzou fan, and the Tigers make the college football playoff. We all know damn well that ain't happening. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Like I can root for it and all, and that that's great. But this this would be a lot of fun, man. Every every season as a Mizzou fan, like let let's be let's put on a reality caps for a moment, right? The real goal is hopefully you make it to an SEC championship game. You're probably going to lose mm-hmm. in that game, and when you do, you get a really cool bowl that you play against a really fun opponent that's in a really cool city that's really warm in January, and you get to have a really good time while you're there. Realistically speaking, in terms of attainable goals as a Mizzou fan, that's probably where we're at. We can hope for something more, but that's kind of been the glass ceiling for, you know, a hundred years. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. You can have some you can, No. It's there's a lot of programs that would yeah. kill for that. And man. then when it, you do have a special year, it's even that much more special. You know? Unless something crazy Absolutely. happens, we're never going to be some blue blood perennial tile contender. Um so it's it's yeah it's not great. I am just more curious as to what they're entertaining as far as changes go. I'm more curious about that. My vote would be pods because it'd be super interesting. I know it wouldn't be great for Missouri, but hey, everyone else has got to play everybody else too. So it, it's not easy for anybody in that scenario. Maybe you can pounce on a few. I don't know, but we will see. Uh, it's been pretty tight lipped over the past uh, couple of weeks. So I I don't know what they're going to end up on, but. Uh, uh, there's something to whet your appetite, but uh, that's we've got an hour and 12 minutes, roughly. Uh, I think that's all I got. BK, do you have anything else? I think that's it, man. Um, Mizzou football is kind of this. This is the quiet time. This is the quiet time of the year. There is some recruiting news, of course, that'll be trickling out over the next few weeks. I think um, the night at night at Mizzou is in June. June. Yeah. So typically there's a few things that lead up into that in terms of recruiting, big announcements. You might have some commits between now and then, but otherwise 
no news is probably good news <laughs> if you're a Mizzou fan over the next two months or so. So we'll try to keep things interesting in the in the here and now, and we've got plenty of stuff going up at the flagship site of RockCamNation.com as well. So that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us. Uh, we love all types of feedback, so give it to us, please. You can follow us on Twitter at Nate G. Edwards. You can follow him at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can listen to him at 10 to 2 on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. You can also follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, MIZ. Z-O-U.